Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Our desire is to unleash a family of healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Well, we've been in this uh, Follow Me series. Pastor Jerry has been marching through the book of Mark. We talked about the one who's worthy to be followed. We talked about answering his call and how to respond when Jesus called, what that looks like. We talked about his authority, how to respond to Jesus' authority. And last week, we talked about the Word of God. What does it look like? What are these responses that we can have to the Word of God? And this morning... We're going to talk about chaos. Say chaos. chaos. <laughs> y'all, y'all are too happy when you said that. Say it with some, with some gusto, if you would. Gusto. How do you pronounce that word also? Gusto? See, y'all don't come from where I come from. We say gusto where I come from. Uh, mucho gusto, usually. Um, anyways, so uh, that was bad. That was so bad. Uh, say chaos. chaos. This morning we're talking about chaos. And as I considered what I thought would represent chaos best, I didn't have to go far, Uh, there might be no greater picture of chaos than a toddler. Uh, All the parents in the room said, amen. Amen. All the children's ministry workers in the room said, my wife just double fist pumped in the back. Uh, There you go. But a toddler, uh, when, when your kids reach, you know, like, you know, one and a half, two, two and a half, they start to learn some things. They learn how to make uh, big messes. Not like, not like uh, when they're eating at the table and you can wipe them down and wipe the table down. No, that's controlled chaos. This is, this is spastic, sporadic, all over and terrible. All the people of God with toddlers said, Amen. Not only that, but they start to use this one particular word. Y'all know what the word is. Hello. It's this one particular word. No. And so all type of behavioral chaos begins to break out. Toddlers destroy your house. Destroy your sanity. They come for your character, but if it's intact, you're all right. If it's not, so help you God. Toddlers have taught me that I might be in charge, but I am not in control. Everybody say, I'm in, I'm not in, you got it, all right? That's what you learn when you have a two-year-old. I'll spare you some other details, but the funny thing is that kids crave structure. More than anything else, what a kid wants is routine, consistency, to know what to expect, They want things to be peaceful. They don't want chaos. But you see, sin alive in the the world, just self-destructive patterns. For whatever reason, toddlers, the very thing that they want, they have a way of of compromising that. Are you tracking with me? Uh, Though Theo may not want chaos, this kid loves to create it. And so I've learned that I have no hope in this battle with the chaos that's in my house. Uh, It doesn't matter what happens. 
It doesn't matter what I try. I can go full send with gentle parenting. I could come over here and not spare the rod. It does not matter what I do. I am hopeless. I am hopeless in this fight against the chaos in my house and in my son. I'm hopeless. There's nothing I can do. And you're hopeless too. Now, it might be with your kids, sure, but I'm talking about in life, in general, on mission. You are hopeless to control the chaos that comes circumstantially in your life. Beyond that, there is a chaos that comes from within you at times, those self-destructive or self-compromising patterns. Sometimes you choose them and sometimes they choose you. But there is a hopelessness that we all face when we are faced with chaos. It is debilitating at times. And so today what I want to talk about, the the question that I want to answer is, how do we respond when chaos arises around us and within us? How do we respond when chaos, say chaos, arises around us and within us. That's what I want to talk about today. So again, we're continuing in this Follow Me series in the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35. It was read. If you don't already know, it'll be on the screen or you can mark it. And before we jump in, Pastor Jerry's been marching us through this mantra. You may know it. Say it with me if you do. Disciples in the know. Disciples on the go. Disciples are faithful. That's right. You got it. Okay. And that's not only something that we want to be true of us, it's an outline for the book of Mark. And we are smack dab in the middle of disciples in the know. This section of Mark where Jesus is wanting the disciples to know who he is and to know how to respond appropriately. And so you've seen a number of things and people and uh, Animals, like all over, everybody responding to Jesus, and are the disciples doing that? That's what we're going to look at today, and in these two stories that work together, we're going to see Jesus' power to bring order to the chaos of our circumstances, to the chaos of our inner world, and then how we respond to it. Again, how do we respond when chaos arises around us and within us? Okay, so this first point is this. Jesus calms the chaos around us. Say, around us. Okay. Jesus calms the chaos around us uh, as, I have to make sure, it was Janiah and Janaea, and now it's Naya and Janae. Janae, great job reading this first section in chapter 4. And what we see is that Jesus calls the disciples to an unconventional place on the other side of the lake, on the other side of the sea, in a Gentile region, if you will, an area that is way different from home where there are things that are considered unclean, all this type of stuff. It's unconventional, and it's at an unconventional time. It's at night. So they're going to take a trip across the water at night to this really uncomfortable place, and you know it, a great windstorm 
arose, right? It's going to sink their boat. It's going to drown them. And you saw the disciples' response. They were terrified. And Jesus, being the, you know, Messiah that he is, is snoozing. Now, that makes two, two kind of quick points on this. Jesus is sleeping, says firstly, that he's practicing what he's preaching, if you will. He's not just this teacher who has a lot of knowledge, who has a lot of wisdom that he's going to impart. No, he actually believes this stuff. That's a kind of a, a common thing that happened in that time, that teachers who practice their faith were to be respected. And so it's saying that he believes what he's teaching, that he trusts God much like the farmer from last week in verse 27, right? That he trusts that God is going to provide and do what he says that he will do. But the second thing that it says is that Jesus is God. Not just that he trusts him, but that Jesus is God. That he's sovereign over the storm, which he displays in the next verse, but he's in control completely. One of my old profs, Dr. Abraham Caravilla, said it really academically. I'm just going to kind of like say what he said, but in the ancient Near East, in that area, at that time, there was this uh, theme that you would have a God who was asleep, and it was a symbol of their divine rule. And here you see that being applied to Jesus. He is God, and he is in control. But the disciples don't yet believe this, right? They might be in the know, but they are not knowing. That's why they ask him, don't you care that we are going to die? In that, they're saying two things. One, Jesus does not care about us. Has chaos ever stirred up a little bit of doubt in Jesus' care for you? But the second thing that Mark wants us to see that is loud is that he uses the same word, that going to die, is the same word that the demon uses in chapter one when he says, are you coming to destroy us? The disciples believe that Jesus is antagonizing them. They believe negative things about Jesus based on his sleeping during their circumstance. And has chaos around you ever drawn out a similar line of thinking in your life? Now, their fear was swamping their faith. They were afraid that the boat was going to capsize, that it was going to be sunk but what sunk was their faith. They were surrounded and drowned out by their fear. But what I love about it is that even though they had so much fear and so much doubt, they brought it to Jesus. They didn't just sit on it. They didn't just dive out of the boat like, show's over, we out. They trusted Jesus enough with their negative emotion, with their doubt, with their belief that he was antagonizing them to bring it to him, and how does he respond? Well, look at verse 39 again. It says, he got up, rebuked. Now, hold on. I just want to say something. This is a little side note, okay? For all you grumpy morning folks, do not use this as a biblical support for your grumpiness. Okay, if you want to do that in Proverbs, there's a verse that says a blessing in the morning is like a curse. So go build your theology off of grumpiness on that, but not here. Okay, I just that's free. That's free and it's an aside. So we're going to put that in your pocket for later. But Jesus got up and rebuked not the disciples. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. 
and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He turned a great storm into a great calm. It's beautiful. Again, my, my old prof, Dr. Curavilla, said that in the ancient Near East, there was this uh, kind of idea that you would have a divine warrior, right, this God figure who's conquering the forces of chaos in the waters. And that's something that is consistent throughout the entirety of the New Testament. When you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, the, uh, Moses wants you to see that Yahweh brings order to the chaos of the uncreation, that he's sovereign not just over the waters, but over all of the things that were there, that he brings order to the chaos that was there. That's a loud thing. Please know that. Put that in your pocket. God is sovereign over chaos. And in the book of Psalms, I'll give you a couple more references. Psalm 89.9, it says, you rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Psalm 107.28 and 29. See if this sounds familiar. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm through a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And here you have Mark telling you a story about Jesus doing this very same thing. What is Mark wanting you to see about Jesus? It's that he's God. Mark wants you as the reader to know that he is God. And that's what Jesus expects of his disciples. You can see in his question, he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He expected them to have faith. You've been with me long enough. You've seen enough of my power. You know that I'm sovereign. Even in this chaotic moment, I'm able to bring calm, peace, stillness. And what was their response? You see, Jesus goes from great storm to great calm, and his disciples were fearing a great fear. There's another appearance of that word great. They were more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm. (laughs) Oh, man. Why? Because they don't yet know him. They weren't sure if that power was purposed for their benefit, if they were going to be... uh, Uh, blessed by his strength. They were scared of him. They weren't convinced of his character, of his kindness, of his care. Again, the disciples were in the know, but they weren't quite knowing. They weren't quite trusting. They weren't quite obeying. And the same can be true of us, can't it? This same thing, this same moment, this same type of thing. When you're on mission, you might run into a little turbulence, right? The storms of life come, rocks your boat a bit, doesn't it? And when that happens, it's, it's appropriate to experience a little bit of worry, a little bit of fearfulness, a little bit of anxiety. What is inappropriate for those who know Jesus, and this ain't shame, we just talking right now, all right? What's inappropriate is to allow uh, your faith to be reduced to the smallness of your situation rather than the bigness of your Savior. And that is what Mark is wanting us to see here. Like last week, right? The worries of the world. What do the worries of the world do to the Word? They choke it out. They choke it out. And chaos can do the same. 
And like the disciples, we can be very quick to forget the power that we've seen Jesus display in the past, the ways that he's transformed us, the ways that he's handled the circumstances that are chaotic around us, the chaos within ourselves. We are quick to forget his power. And we're also quick to forget his calling. Doc Evans, you know, he's, he's Doc, all right? He put me onto this one. Notice this. Where does Jesus call the disciples? Look in verse 35. Where does Jesus call the disciples? What does he say? Somebody. Let's, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. He told them where he was taking them. Doc Evans said it this way. Our faith only fails when we allow our circumstances to override God's word. If he's made us a promise, if he's given us a calling, if he told us that he's going to take us body and soul to the other side, be it the other side of this thing that he's put in front of us to be faithful to right now or the other side of death, we know that he will hold us, that he will keep us, that he's strong enough, don't we? And we only let our circumstances pull our faith down and replace it with fear when we forget what he's called us to, what he's promised us. And so it's true that chaos around us impacts us, right? That's a, that's a true thing. It, it, it affects what's going on inside of us. But you might be thinking, all right, Ryan, that's cool. I got it. You're talking about chaos around us and that like stirs some things up in us. But, but, but. What about the fact that I feel like I'm the storm? There's not, there's not chaos around me that's doing something to me. There's chaos within me that's doing something to me. What do I do with that? I am so glad that you asked. There's a second point right here. It says, Jesus calms the chaos within us. Say, within us. Within us. Wake up. Say, within us. within us. Okay, you're ready. We're ready. Let's get it. Jesus did say, Let's go to the other side. He did say that. But remember, it's a little bit of, a, of un, you know, like an unconventional thing. It was, it was controversial. This, uh, this leg of the mission uh, wasn't really proper for good Hebrews. You don't just like pull up on the weekend and go to the other side of the sea. Uh, and you see why here. It's immediately confirmed. Verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, As soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat... A man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Now, there are a few things that you could see just off that. Unclean spirit, tombs. Like, that's just recipe for disaster on sight, okay? And it goes on. But before it goes on, Jesus' ministry, uh, it, it expands here. It starts in Jewish region and moves to Gentile region, and both ministry areas start with an exorcism. Chapter 1, among the Jews, right here in chapter 4, among the Gentiles, both of them start with an exorcism. Both of them start with Jesus flexing his power, flexing his authority on his adversaries. Just hold on to that. But Mark has a slightly different emphasis here. Mark is spending so much time. The volume of what he says says a lot about what Mark wants you to see, what he is emphasizing. I'm going to read a couple more verses. Notice the negatives here. 
Verse 3, he lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore. In the Greek, that's a negative. Not even with a chain because he'd been bound often with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. That's pretty, pretty bad, right? This dude is hopeless. And Mark goes on. Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, here you see the demon knows who Jesus is. Consistency, right? Mark is telling us something here. But also, Pastor Jerry addressed this Greek idiom, this what to me and to you that comes from Hebrew. He said that. If you, want, uh, if you weren't here, you can go to our podcast. Shouts out to Waldo. Anybody listen to the podcast this week? Shouts out. Can you get snaps? Can we get some snaps for Waldo? Waldo, thank you. I listened to like all the Follow Me sermons this week. <laughs> but two weeks ago, Pastor Jerry addressed this. I just want to add one note from a commentator. He wrote, this exasperated outburst is the equivalent of, why are you bothering me? Leave me alone. That's what this demon is saying to Jesus. And now the tormentor has changed roles, and he pleads exemption from torment. Jesus is, uh, I don't know, stepping up to a bully. And the name that Mark provides is Legion. The legion in the region is a military term denoting a unit of 5,500 soldiers. The reason why I say that is because that's representative of what Jesus is up against. That's a military term, like a unit of soldiers, up to 6,000. So this is kind of like, you know, knuckle up then. It just feels like he knows that he doesn't have the power to fight Jesus, but he's still trying to like hold his authority. You ever had a moment like that? I don't want to talk about it if you have. We'll talk about it later. But you can also see, based on the number of pigs, right, there were at least 2,000 demons that were involved here. The, the, the point is this. There were a lot of demons. The size of the battle that Jesus is entering, that's the point. There is a fight breaking out, and what happens is really just that one side kind of begs and surrenders. It's like a quick white flag. It's a boring fight. Like, this wouldn't be a fun movie. Like, the plot is flat. Uh, it's just... No rising action, no fall, like nothing. So what point is, is Mark making? Again, Mark wants, to, wants us to see the size of Jesus' power, the bigness of his strength. Jesus has done what the text said, what no one and nothing else could do, which terrified the people. Mark is showing us that Jesus is scary powerful. Like, it's terrifying. His disciples were afraid of him. The people in the region are afraid of him. That's how strong he is. He calms the chaos of the sea of creation around the disciples, and then he steps up and calms the chaos within this demon-possessed man. He is strong, and his power calms the chaos that's within us too. Look, while you're on mission... That's the idea of Mark, right? That we're on mission with Jesus. And while you're on mission, you might experience someone else's chaotic inner world. Think of Theo, right? I am often (laughs) confronted with my son's dysregulation. My God. Um, Just 
And, and also, like, uh, Mark wants us to see that the storm comes out of nowhere. That's, that's how it can feel. Theo is the happiest he's ever been. And then all of a sudden, it screams and fallout. It's, it's wild. And I asked Theo for his permission to use him as a, a sermon illustration, okay? He, there was consent involved. How much consent with a two-year-old? That's for a lawyer to decide. But... I'm not able, I'm in charge, but I'm not in control. I'm, I, my inability is so glaring to me to bring transformation to my son. I just have to ride it out. I have to hold on to Jesus and know that he's able to do something, which might mean that he deals with me. It's the other part of this. <laughs> While on mission, you will undoubtedly come face to face with your own disordered inner world, the things that shackle or subdue or suppress you, to use the language of the passage. Now, this chaos within you might be a sinful pattern. It might be something that you, uh, this desire that you can't seem to shake. I love this uh, kind of picture that's provided in this man in the passage. Uh, it's that he can be bound, right? They can put shackles on him, but he can't be subdued. No one could hold this person down. He was too strong. And I love, I love that that like is kind of a picture for us. You know, James 3, when it talks about the tongue, it's the same word. No one can subdue the tongue. It cannot be controlled. And that's a picture for us this guy was hopeless, and so was anyone trying to help him. And you might be trying to calm your own chaos within you. You might be trying to bind your own struggles, and you're not seeing much progress, and you feel like you're just white-knuckling your way to the other side. We are not strong enough to still the swirling waters within our own souls and we are not strong enough to silence the howling winds that's working in someone else's mind. We are not able. But if you're going to follow Jesus on mission, let me tell you something so sim simple, just simple. We have to rely on Jesus' power. That is our only hope. We are hopeless, much like this man, much like the people in the area who were just trying to contain, dude. We're hopeless to contain we're hopeless to bind. We're hopeless to subdue the chaos around us, the chaos within us or within those around us. There's only one power, and it's his. Do me a favor. Say, Jesus, Jesus. Has, power. Power. say Jesus has power. Say, Jesus has power. That is our only hope as we are on mission, is that Jesus has power. And this brings us back to our original question. You know, the text shows us, uh, <laughs> my other son is crying. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, here we are, literally. This text shows us that the disciples didn't have the best response to Jesus' power when chaos rose up. No one really seemed to except for the most hopeless person in the story who provides a little hope for all of us. He exuded a model response to Jesus' power. Again, our original question, how do we respond when chaos arises around us and within us? Last point, proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. 
How do we respond when chaos arises around us and within us? Proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. Proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. Proclaim Jesus' power to... You got it. Proclaim him. Proclaim him. Look, I'll show you. Look at the passage. We're picking up in verse 18. This is where this comes from. Let's read. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, also the grammar, the man who had been demon-possessed, beautiful, begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Now, before we talk about proclaiming, did you notice all of the begging that happens in this passage? Five different times someone is begging. Five. The demons, the townspeople, and this new disciple all recognize Jesus' power, and they respond with reverence. He's in his proper place for them. And there's something else that's noteworthy about these petitions. Look in verse 10. The demons begged Jesus to stay in the region. In verse 12, the people begged Jesus to leave the region. In verse 17, the man begged to leave the region to be with Jesus. And in verse 18, Jesus told him to stay. Now, earlier I mentioned this idea of military, this battle. Right here, the battle is going to continue after Jesus leaves. Jesus is going to leave the region but there's still this, uh, this fight that's happening in this area. The passage, I kind of spared you, is purposefully ripe with military language. It's everywhere in this passage. And what it provides for us, what it looks like to participate in this cosmic spiritual battle, is proclaiming Jesus' power. If you want to join Jesus in his battle against his adversaries, what we do is proclaim his power, and we wage war on behalf of the kingdom. So this ex-demoniac, this new disciple, is displaying the proper response to experiencing Jesus' power. He proclaims. So Mark's first missionary, uh, the first messenger that Jesus commissions in his mission, according to Mark, everyone else has to be quiet. They're not commissioned. They just can't help but talk. Right here, Jesus says, no, you need to go. I am sending you out to proclaim. That's the first one. It's a Gentile <laughs> who had been uh, possessed by thousands of demons and lived in a graveyard. Okay, uh, that is the type of missionary that Jesus is after. Do I have any uh, previously, you don't, don't raise your hand for real, any previously possessed people in this place? Do I, have, do I have any people who used to stay in a graveyard in this place? Well, maybe not like him, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins according to the Bible, right? That's Ephesians 2 for reference. But look at this, look at this, look at this. Y'all don't get me too excited yet, okay? I'm getting ahead of myself, getting ahead of myself. In verse 18 and in verse 21, it shows us 
that this is the only thing that Jesus does on this side of the sea. He just took the disciples on a day trip, a night trip, an overnight, whatever you want to call it. But that means that this new disciple was the reason that Jesus crossed over to the other side. Jesus went out of his way to go and find this man, this new disciple, in order to commission him, to send him out, to expand his reach, to continue the battle, to overcome his adversaries, to bring the kingdom, to bring healing and flourishing. Are you tracking with me? That is what is happening. And now look, 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 look. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If the story ends there, you miss this guy. You miss what happens. You miss what Mark does because Jesus comes back. What's the result of this new disciple's ministry? Go to the end of chapter 6. Verse 53, through the end of the chapter, they came to the shore at that place, right? Thank you, Naya. And all of these healings begin to happen. You look at the end of chapter 7, healings are happening. You look at the beginning of chapter 8, Remember the exorcism in the Jewish area, the exorcism in the Gentile area. There was a feeding of the 5,000 in the Jewish area, and then a feeding of the 4,000 in the Gentile area. Listen, how do these people know who Jesus is? How did they find out about Jesus? Because of a man who had lived in a graveyard possessed by thousands of demons, experienced the power of Jesus, responded appropriately, obeyed him to go, and proclaimed his power. Are you tracking with me? That's the result of his ministry. So how do we respond when chaos arises around us and within us? What do we do? Well, this passage would tell us, proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. Proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. You got it, but now, hey, look, you are now accountable for it. Okay. When storms blow in and overwhelm you, proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. Preach his power to yourself and to those around you. He's able. When temptation or sinful desires or mental health seem to shackle you or those around you, Proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos. Now listen, I was hanging out with a counselor this week, and one of her professors that she had kind of been supervised by and studied under uh, was a, uh, like a specialist with DID. It's like uh, dissociative. Ask the people that are muttering right now. They know the technical language. But it's when you have parts, different identities, different characters that you will present as. And it's your brain's way of protecting you from all of the trauma that you experienced most likely before you were six. People who have experienced severe trauma have that. I am not saying that this passage is DID. The point that I'm trying to make is mental health is real and we need to have respect for it, okay? So not everything is a demon. I want to start there. But that doesn't mean ain't no demons out here. Jesus shows you there's demons out here in some places, okay? So I'm saying we need to have respect for both. And while we're on mission, we will run into both. And when you do, what do you do? Proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos in Jesus' name. So, 
This is what I want you to do. Say, Jesus has power. Y'all, he's strong, ain't he? He's mighty, ain't he? He's able, right? He's going to keep his promises to you. He's going to carry you, body and soul, in life and in death, as you follow him on mission. You can trust him, but you won't always trust him. And so I would be remiss to poke a bit before I get out of your way. So this ain't any shame. There's no shame up here. If you begin to spiral in a shame cycle, don't. Proclaim Jesus' power to that chaos, okay? But this is what I want to say. Jesus displayed his power over all creation. The wind and the sea knew him and they obeyed him, okay? He displayed his power over all of his adversaries. The demons knew him and they obeyed him. So here's my question. For those of us who have experienced Jesus' power, who follow him, who know him, are we obeying him? Are we proclaiming Jesus' power to calm chaos? I just, uh, I feel so strongly, I have been begging God that his power would impress upon us to move us to be a proclaiming people, that we would let him make us into fishers for people like he promised us in chapter one. And so again, no shame. I just want to poke a bit, okay? What are some reasons why we don't proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos? We might say something like, I don't feel able I don't feel qualified, or I don't feel trained. And this is no shade. Those things are real. It, easy for you to say, Ryan, you have a seminary degree. Fair, okay? Fair. Seminary degree don't mean nothing, but that's fair, okay? Training, if you want to call it that. But when I look at this passage, what seminary was available for this young disciple who was sent out? His training was a few hours with Jesus. So listen, if you want some training, spend a few hours with Jesus and then respond. And that's not shade. I'm not trying to make light. I'm just saying all that you need, according to this passage, to go out, to be sent, the only thing that you have, the prerequisite, is Jesus' power. What did Jesus tell him? I'm a quote. I lost my spot. What did Jesus tell him? Report to them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. Anybody, the Lord done anything for you? There's your training. Anybody, has he had mercy on you? There's your training. You have all the ability. You have all of the training. You have all of the qualifications that you need. Now, you might be saying, Ryan, it wasn't a graveyard, but I was ratchet. Ryan, I was out here. I don't think you got time for my rap sheet, which is fair, totally fair. But I got a question. Everybody, do you hear me? Everybody in Decapolis knew this guy. The amount of ratchet was actually helpful 
for him to be proclaiming the type of mercy that he'd experienced. What the Lord had done was take him from a place to a place. Take him from this dead, decrepit, debilitated into delivered, out here delivering a message. Somebody needs to know that is what was happening. So let me tell you, the depth of the darkness of your past is a backdrop to help display the brightness of Jesus's power in your testimony. All you need to do is tell what Jesus has done for you, right? That's what Jesus said. Well, all the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. So it sounds to me like somebody in this place has had the Lord do some things for them. Somebody in this place has had the Lord show them some mercy. So it sounds like you got everything that you need. And here's the last one, and I really got to go, okay? The last one, y'all really have me up here. Too long. Okay, all right. Here's the last one. You say, now, Ryan, I don't have, I don't have a story like that. I wasn't ratchet. I was rule following like a big dog. Never broke one. I still ain't broke a rule. I'm 63. If that's the case, here's what I would say. The Bible teaches us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? If that is the case, if that is true, then it seems to me that you don't have what it takes to participate in the mission if you don't have a testimony. But you do. You do have a testimony because it says that we were raised to life with Christ, right? Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That would say to me that you might say, well, I've never been a bad kid. I've always been a good kid, but you were a dead kid and now you're an alive kid. Am I right? So you have everything that you need. You don't need a testimony. You've got the truth that you can stand on in God's word. Can I get an amen, somebody? Look, you've probably gone from, uh, from sick or struggling in some way, you've had some sort of a healing, right? Or you've grown into health. Or you've grown into holiness. There's more to righteousness than rule following. Am I right? You're becoming like Jesus so you can testify to the ways that you're not worried about what other people think about you anymore, that you're free to care what only God above thinks about. All of us have a testimony. The reality is when we don't proclaim Jesus' power to calm chaos, whatever our reason, all we're doing is forgetting his power. And I was in Walmart, I am so glad to say, weeping over the fact that I have forgotten his power. I'm too grown and too mature. I don't remember that little 15, 16-year-old kid. I don't remember his pain. I've forgotten what the Lord has done for me and how he's shown mercy to me. And not shame on me, but like conviction on me. You know, like we need to progress. We need to move to the next stage. We need to grow up. And so as the band's coming back up, I want to tell you a little bit more about that. I'm out your hair. This is like two minutes, so I'm not just saying I'm landing the plane and then I'm going to have eight points. Okay, so I'm growing up. At night when I pray with Theo, we say the same thing every night. We thank Jesus for a lot of the gifts that he's given us that day. And then at the end we say, it reminds us of you, our best gift of all, our rescuer and our king. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 
every night that I get to. He likes his mom right now, so I don't get to do it as often. But every night, and we've been talking about what does it mean that Jesus is our rescuer? What does it mean that Jesus is our king? And when I ask him about king, his answer should be, and sometimes is, uh, sometimes it's like he pops, and I'm like, what does that mean? But when he's paying attention, he says, we listen to and obey Jesus. That is his response. We listen to and obey Jesus. And in this past week, I got down on Theo's level. He wasn't listening. I got down on his level, and I said, Theo, who's in charge of Theo? Mommy and daddy. That's right. So what does that mean that you need to do? Listen and obey. That's right, buddy. You need to listen and obey. And echoing within the chambers of my soul, God in heaven said, listen and obey, Ryan. Listen and obey. Who is in charge, Ryan? Listen and obey. He pressed me. Are you listening and obeying? Here's a name, Ryan. Are you going to reach out to that person? Are you going to ask them if anybody's discipling them and offer to do it? I'm putting my business out there. You can come and press me. Did you ask them? Because <laughs> my, my, my huddle is, is supposed to be following up with me about that. And I want to offer the Lord's word to me, to you. As we talk about proclaiming Jesus' power to calm chaos, I want to offer a tangible way for you to do that. So the prayer team always comes up here. The prayer team will be up here. If you want prayer, by all means, come down and pray. But there's more that can happen in this time. I want to invite you, whether you stay at your seat or you come down and kneel at these steps, I want to challenge you. Jesus said that follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And if you have been following Jesus, but you really don't like to follow him into the boat to fish, then I want to invite you to come and confess that to him. And in so doing, I want you to ask him, Lord, show me a place. Lord, show me a person. Lord, give me a name. I'll go where you call me to go. I'll tell who you call me to tell, but I'm asking you to help me. And that is the invitation. Ask him for a place or a person. God, who or where, to whom or where are you sending me? And you probably noticed we have stacks of Bibles down here. This is an invitation to take a Bible. Look, if you don't own a Bible, take the Bible that's in front of you. That's yours, okay? But we're inviting you to take a Bible and that place or that person we're inviting you to give a Bible. And if that person says, I don't know what to do with this thing, say, great, I'll see you here next week. Where do, where do I start? Start with the book of Mark. And you can march through all semester with them. If you don't feel confident, you're like, Ryan, I don't know about that, invite them to life group. Invite them to a Sunday. Have them come and sit next to you. Bring them along with you. We are all capable, but what I want to press us with is we are responsible for how we obey Jesus. He calls us to listen and obey. And so I want to invite you, not shame you, not scare you, but invite you to confess this to him and to invite him to provide you a place or a person, take a Bible, and be about that action. And you're like, Ryan, I'm never going to do it if you don't give me a deadline. Great. The deadline is Easter. Have that person with you at Easter. Bring them. 
Bring them. Bring them. Listen, we haven't baptized a person in this building yet. It won't be in that. I can tell you right now. In Jesus' name, it will not be in that. But we've not had a baptism here yet. What would it be like if we were celebrating new life in Christ? If we were celebrating new disciples like this who had been demon-possessed, who had been caught up, who had been, and we were able to say with, with shouts and celebration, look at all the Lord has done and how he's had mercy on us. Guys, let's all participate. Let's do it as a family. It's a mission for our family, not for people who are paid, not for ministry, for our family. Let's be about that action. Listen, we're going to have a time of contemplation where there's some questions that we ask, what's God calling you to stop, start, believe, and share. But more than that, participate in prayer, asking God to give you a name of a place or a person. Can you do that? Hey, I love y'all. Let's get it. Thank you again for listening to the Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.